to the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. We're, we're kicking off this new series today called Are You Worth It? And as, as we go into this, the next few weeks of this series, I mean, um, I've, I've just been praying and, and, and reading. And as I prepare, I just like I keep having to like, you know, like if you're really close to something and you want to see it like for what it really is, you start taking a step back. And then you see it a little better and then you take a step back and you see it a little better and you take a step back. And, and, and like, I, I just feel like over, over the past few weeks, like I've, I've been doing that with the Lord. Like I've just been seeing more and I take a step back and I'm like, man, I'm almost there. Right. I'm almost there. Like, and I'm, all, I'm almost seeing the whole thing. And as I keep stepping back, I just start to realize he, he has no end. Like I, I, I'll never grasp him. Like I can run to the end of the universe and I'll still never grasp the entirety of who he is. And, 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 and it's like, I can, I can run for eternity. I could just run in this direction for eternity and turn around and look and I'll still be this close and he'll still be this wide because he's ever expanding. And, and, and that is what, that's my goal for this series. My goal is, is for us to not stay still in this place and think that we're seeing all of God. My goal is that we would continue to just like step back because the stepping back and, and, and viewing him is how you get closer to him because you get to see that there's more to him and, and there's more and there's more. And right when you think you've seen the whole thing, there's more. And, and, that's, why, and that's why you're made for eternity because that's how long it's going to take to begin to just start to grasp this thing. And I'm just so excited about what I really believe the Lord is, is going to do. So I titled this, this, this series, Are You Worth It? And Are You Worth It? is, is a really loaded question. It's, it's a loaded question that every single person in this room is armed with. And throughout this series, what I want to do is, is kind of aim that in a multiple different directions as, as we go along here. And the target that I want to aim for today is God himself. And, and, and the question that I want to ask ourselves is, God, are you worth it? Like, God, are you worth it? This is, and I think this is a question that we, we, we do ask ourselves on a regular basis. I don't think that we may put it into so many words, but I think every single day, every single thing that we do, the deep question in our hearts as we make decisions is, God, are, are, are you worth it? You know, like even as you change your clock backs and you realize I'm going to lose an hour of sleep and it's always on, on, on the time change night that you go to sleep late for some reason. So it's always that one night, something happens, the, the baby won't sleep or, or God's putting something on your heart. It's always that one night where you're going to lose that one hour that like you just you stay up extra. And then you got to wake up that morning. You got to think about it. Oh, man, I could just stay in bed and no one will know I'm not there. And he's like, oh, like, is it worth it? You know, like it's, it's a deep question that I think we ask in our decision making. And before we get into this, I want to properly define some words that I'll use throughout the next week so that we're on the same page in what I mean by them. And the first word is worth. When I talk about worth, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about something that is the true measure of what it really is. So worth is, is, is like what heat is to the sun. It is intrinsic. Like the worth of God is the worth of God and not your take on it. It's not how much you see. It's not how much you glorify him. It, 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 it is the core of who he really is. Like your worth, your, your worth, it doesn't matter what I think. 
It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't even matter what you think. Your worth is, is, is valid by God because he made you in a substance in such a way, and that is your worth. It is intrinsic to who you are. There's nothing you could do to change it. You could do worthless things and still have worth because you are made in, that's the substance of who you are, right? So when I say worth, I'm not talking about my opinion. Like, like if we say God is worthy, we're saying that God is worthy, Regardless of, like, even the rocks will cry out if we don't praise him because he's worthy. There's nothing you could do to take away his, 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 his worth. And the second word is value. When I say value, that's your take on worth. That's how, 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 how do you perceive the worth of something? How do you perceive God's worth? How, how do you perceive the worth of the people around you? So, so my neighbor is worthy. And I value my neighbor is, 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 is how I view their worth. It is my take on their worth. It is ascribed worth. And that's when I become the scale. I become the scale on the person's worth. So God is his own scale. God is the scale of the universe, right? Um, in, in arguing in apologetics sometimes, people will say that like, like this happened that was good and this thing happened that was bad. And like, like God does some questionable things in the Bible that would appear to be bad. And so when we talk about good and bad, that's a scale. And so if we're saying that God does something good and God does something bad, then who or what is the scale that is measuring good and bad? Like how, how do we find out what good and bad is? God himself is the scale. He's the one that determines what is good and what is bad. That's why when he created, he said, and it is good. Because he's the scale of what's good and bad. And so there is no measurement for him. If there's a measurement for God, if we could say God, God is good and something else is bad, then something would have to be higher than God to be able to, to validate him on the scale. Right? Is that, does that make sense? I know that's like really, that's like uh, more, more, more like uh, Christian philosophy, but, but God is his own scale. When we talk about value, we become the scale. And I'm the one who's saying, well, this is good and this is bad based on my perspective, based on who I am. And then the last word that I want to kind of define for us is cost. And cost is the response to value. Cost is my willingness to pay for something that I value. So let's use it like a house. A house has worth of $100,000 based on the materials, the time, everything it takes to build a house is the worth of the house. This house is worth $100,000. And then the value of the house is now based on the neighborhood it's in, if someone is, has lived there or not, right? Like, like there's some other factors that go into deciding the value of the house. So you could have a $100,000 house and you could put it in Pinecrest and it's worth a million. You put it in some other unnamed neighborhoods here in Miami-Dade County <laughs> and, it's, and it's worth 20000 but it takes 100000 to build that house. So the worth of the house is 100000 and the placement of it is the scale that decides its value. So you can buy a $100,000 house for $20,000 because it's been valued at less than its worth. Or you can get it for more than because of its placement, and it's actually valued for more than what it's worth. But its worth is $100,000. And the cost is what the realtor says you've got to pay. So the realtor looks at the house, look, looks at how much it is, looks at where it is and say, this is the cost. This is what you got to do to get it. And so the realtor be, becomes the scale. And then you become the scale also when you start to negotiate and say, I will not pay $100,000 for this house. I'll pay $80,000 because my perspective is that it's not worth that much. My, I, I don't value it at that. Right? So 
worth, cost, and values. Just some simple economics here for what we're going to talk about. My, my, my message today is that I, I hope we're, we're going to be able to go through, through all of it. I just want to read through Exodus 33. If you have a Bible with you, take it out. I'm going to ask you to circle and highlight a few things and... I'm going to pray that the Lord do some amazing things today. Last week, I ended by sharing something really personal. And, and I, I, sh- I shared what I believe is, a, is probably the most powerful prayer I've, I've ever prayed that really changed my life, right? So I never said a prayer to become a Christian. So I don't know if that means I'm really not a Christian, but I, I didn't say the prayer, right? I've, I've never said like the prayer that people say. Um, I, I couldn't, well, I'll, t- I'll tell my testimony some other time, but I never got the opportunity to say the prayer. I just got saved. You know, and, but after like walking with the Lord for a while, you know, last week I shared that one of the most honest prayers I've ever prayed to the Lord was like, Jesus, I don't love you. Like coming to the core of who I was and being real about who I am and, 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 and taking honestly, like the decisions I was making and, 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 and knowing how I felt about the people around me and knowing how I felt about God and, and, and knowing that I'm supposed to, but being real with the fact that I'm not. And, and just really, and I remember that night specifically, I, I, I remember laying in my bed, just laying on my back and feeling tears just, just drip down into my ears as, as I just, and I, I said it. And it took me about 10 minutes just to say it. It wouldn't come out of my mouth. I was like, Jesus, I, like, I, because I'm, I know I'm supposed to. You're the God of the universe. I believed it in my heart, but the truth is I don't love you. If I'm, if I'm really honest with, with myself, I don't. And, and so during this series, I'm, I'm believing God to do three specific things for us. One is that we will have a real passion for God, that, that, that you would have a real passion, not the passion that the pastor tells you you should have, not the passion that you feel like everyone around you has, and so you need to kind of fall into the mix of it and pretend that you have it too, not the passion of lifting your hands in worship and closing your eyes and feeling more spiritual because you're, you're partaking of a spiritual activity, but I'm talking about real passion in your heart for Jesus. That's what I'm believing God for, a real passion that all these other things just flow out of that a real passion for God. And, and, and passion is, is beyond like two people living in a house, right? Like my wife and I live in a house together. That's not what makes us married. I know many people who live in houses together and are not married, but it's the passion. And so when the Holy Spirit moves into my life, that we're not just two people dwelling in this body together, that I'm like actually in love and I have passion for the God that dwells inside of me, that I love him so much, that like I wake up every morning like, ah, to be with you again. Before I go to sleep and then I'm like, just stay with me. I, I want to dream about you, never want to leave you. I, I, I don't just want to dwell in this body with him as two people living in a house together. And the second one is that we, we would have passion for following Jesus that we would have real passion for following him, not just following him. Like there's, a, there's two different things. The, the, there's sacrifice and sacrifice comes out of passion. It, it, it can, but, but sacrifice also can, just, can come out of condemnation. You can feel so condemned by what other Christians think that you move and sacrifice out of that condemnation. Now God will receive that sacrifice, but it doesn't get you closer to God. It, 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 it doesn't fill your heart with the love for God that God actually wants to fill you with. And, and, and so following Jesus with a passion and that kind of passion, it changes our worldview. It changes the way that we see things. It's founded on being madly in love with God. That's, that's what I'm praying for. And I'm asking our prayer team, that, that's what I'm praying for, for you, for us. 
And friend, for everyone that you bring here throughout the the next few weeks, that they have a real passion for God, a real passion for following God. And then lastly, an endurance for keeping the fire burning on the altar. Like for endurance, right? And so like for those of you who've been walking with the Lord for X amount of time, you know that there's times where you just fall off the train and you're just like, like, I I don't even feel this thing anymore. Right? And those are the times when you need that endurance just to keep on running, to keep on moving, and to keep that fire burning on the altar for Jesus. Right? And, and, and so passion, passion for God, right? a, a passion for him, a passion for following him, and, and an endurance for going the long haul. And endurance. So that's what I'm believing the Lord to do. Let's pray and then we'll get into Exodus 33. Father, I thank you for what you're about to do today. I, I, just, I, I ask for expectation to just begin to fill this room, Lord. God, I, I, I thank you that you know where each and every single person in this room is in proximity to you. You know where we've positioned our lives in accordance to where you are. You know how we feel about you. You know what we think about you. You know our struggles individually. God, and, and as you give me the opportunity just to share something corporately, I ask for your spirit to come and make it be expressed individually. That your people would hear your voice, God that they would sense your spirit. If Father asked for true transformation of the heart today, a true transformation of the mind, that we'll go closer to you, that we'll fall more in love with you, that we'll begin to behold your worth in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 33. So Exodus 32 is when the, the, the Israelites build the golden calf. You guys remember that? they start to worship this calf. Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the promised land on the oath of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Armorites, Hettites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I may destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one would put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you stiff-necked people, if I were to go with you for even a moment, I may destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Verse seven. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meetings. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents and watched Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, They all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And then the Lord replied to Moses and said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from your people, from all the other peoples of, of the, on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name to you, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But God said, you cannot see my face for no one may see my face and live. And then the Lord said, this is, there's a place near me where you may stand on the rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And so in, in, this, in this story, this is, this is such an exciting story because there's such a dynamic here. And I want to maybe go, go through a little bit um, just verse, verse by verse some, somewhat and, and kind of paint the picture of God's worth that I really want us to capture today. Uh, when, when God speaks to Moses, so Moses, Moses is leading what God calls a stiff-necked people, right? So they, Moses goes up to the mountain and he's getting these 10 commandments. And while he's up there, the people are like, hey, Moses is gone. We need somebody to follow, right? And so they turn to Aaron and say, hey, like we need a God. So Aaron's like, all right, give me all the gold that you have and we're, we're gonna make a God Be- because Moses is gone and he took God with him. And so we're gonna build our own God. And so the people gave Aaron this gold and he built a calf. And then Moses comes down from the mountain. You guys remember this, this, this in chapter 32, that Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees them worshiping this golden calf and he gets really mad and he drops the stones and chastise the people, pretty sure he hit some of them, right? <laughs> I think so. And so when, when the Lord then tells him that I'm not going to go with you into the promised land, and he says, I may destroy you on the way, right? He's like, I'm, I'm not going to go because I might just kill you on the way. Like, this is crazy, right? Like, like, what if God said that to you? Like, like hey, I'm not going to go with, with you today because if I go on the way somewhere, we could just be having a conversation. Jesus, I love you so much. And he's like, ah, just off you on the way. Like, I may just destroy you. So it's better for you that I not go. This seems a little crazy, right? And I think it seems crazy because we know, like, culturally, culturally, not deriving you, but culturally, we understand one side of the coin of God. And, and, and so we spend the side of, of, of this coin that is righteousness, that is goodness, that is holiness, the, 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 the peacemaker. He opens the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. People are, there's good stuff that's happening. And, and we love to spend that one side of the coin. But there's this other side of the coin that makes him holy. And that's his wrath. Oh no, the pastor's going to preach doom and gloom. <laughs> Oh no, that's not what I came to hear today, right? Like I can't just spend one side of a coin. I, I, I have to spend the whole coin. Do you guys understand this, right? And, and, and so we, we love this side of the coin and, and then we, we always try to place this, like we never flip it and just say, let the coin fall how it may, heads or tails, live or die, 
Right? Like God, God, God is a coin and there's two sides and we, we have to spend both sides. And so we see God's love and we see God's wrath because God is holy. And, and that's what, I've been stressing this for the past few weeks. That's what makes the sacrifice of Jesus make sense. The fact that you have sin and he died for your sin and that he had to die for your sin because sin deserves death and God doesn't shrink back from that. If he shrinks back from that, he's not holy and he's a one-sided coin. But the fact that he has two sides, I mean that he loves you, but I will kill you if you're attached to sin. And, and, and so when, when God destroys sin, he's severing you from sin. He, he's not like, okay, like when, when, when Jesus dies, he doesn't wipe sin away. I know we have that song, right? He washes away sin. Like he destroys sin. He kills it. He murders it. Like, like he comes into the strong man's house and binds him up. He kills sin. And then he resurrects it into new life. He doesn't destroy it and send it to hell as we pray sometimes. He converts it and, and resurrects it back into life. And so he never takes it away from you fully. He kills it and he resurrects it. But it must be destroyed and it must be converted because God is holy. And we see the same thing in Romans 1 from verse 21 to, to 26, right? For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But in their thinking, they became futile and their hearts were, were darkened. And then down in verse 24, it says, Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then in, in verse 26, we see the same thing. Because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for, for unnatural ones. So God is saying, I'm not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, I'm going to strike you dead on the road. But, here, but, but here's the caveat. You can go. You, you, you can go to the land with milk and honey. You can have it all. But I'm not going to go with you. And, and so we see this place where even in the New Testament, he's saying, if, if, if the sexual impurity of what you, is what you want, I'll give it to you, but I'm not going to go with you. And so I'm, I'm not going to hold you back from it. I'm not going to violate you, your free will, but you can go. And, and, and we see both in the old and new where God is saying that you get what you value. If that's what you value, then you can have it. I'm, I'm not going to violate you. And in, and in Exodus, he says, I'm sending an angel. Now, in Exodus 23, right, we, we see where God says, my angel will go with you. And, and then in Exodus 32, we, uh, verse 34, he says, my, my, my angel will go before you. So God keeps saying, my angel. Now when he says, I will not go with you, he says, an angel. And those are two separate words in, in, in the original text. He's, he's saying, I'm going to send my angel. And we believe that is the pre-incarnate Christ, the, the, the same angel that they've been seeing all the time in, in the wilderness. It is, the, it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It is the second person of the Trinity. When he says, my angel, that is, that's me that's going to follow you. But now since I'm not going to go with you, I'll give you what you want. I'll send you an angel. I'll just, I'll just send you an angel to go with you. Back to the text in, in, in Exodus 33, verse four. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even a moment, I may destroy you. And then God says, now take off your ornaments. And then in verse uh, six, he says, the Israelites stripped off the ornaments. And again, these are two separate words here. So the Israelites are seriously repentant. Like they're seriously like they hear word that God is not going to go with, like, I'm not going to go with them. 
Like if, if God comes and says, I'm going to send you, I'll give you everything you want. If it's money you're chasing, you can have it. If it's a bigger house you want, you can have it because you have complete disregard for me. You can have whatever you want that, that's going to make you happier than me. I'm not going to violate you. Just go. I'm going to send an angel. Your life will be fine. You're still going to get to go to heaven. This is not about heaven and hell. You still get to experience the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. He says, I'm not coming. And the Israelites seriously began to mourn. So God says to take off, and and that's one word, which is a command. And it says they stripped off their clothes. And and that's more of of like a rending of the garment. That's That's the heart of repentance. They were passionate. They began to mourn. They began to mourn because they realized that they were practically dead without God. And so this is a serious repentance. And if you're following along in our outline here, this brings us to point number one. God is worthy of my repentance. God is worthy of my repentance. When we truly value God's worth, repentance is inevitable. When you truly understand, like we're singing, God, I need you every hour. And if if you realize that I, I don't just want you, but I need you. And when you realize that you actually need him, like I can't do anything without you. That only comes when, when you keep stepping back and, and you see how valuable he is and you start to grasp his worth. And then you realize, I actually need you. And, and as soon as you start to get a, a hold of this, when you start to get a grip of this, you can't help but repent. You can't help but repent. We, we see this in, in um, Genesis 35, when, when Jacob and his household, when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, right? Jacob wrestled with, with the angel in, in chapter 34. And then in, in chapter 35, Jacob says, get rid of your, your foreign gods that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come with us and I'll build an altar. And, and they sacrifice because Jacob wrestled with God. He saw God. He had a passion for God. He comes back to the people and say, listen, we got to get our acts together. Like take off all these jewelry, get, get rid of sin because I have seen the worth of this God. We see the same thing in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He sees him, right? He, he, he took one step back and, and began to see how worthy he is, began to see how holy he is. And, and in verse five, he says, Whoa, I am ruined, for I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen him, and he repents. My, my, I'm, I say things, and the people around me say, We're, 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 we're filthy people, right? And he takes a step back and he sees the worthiness of God. And under number one, the cost of repentance is opened eyes. Just, just stepping back and seeing God. If you are repenting without seeing God, you're repenting from a place of condemnation. You're repenting because someone is telling you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And so you need to repent. Repentance is not a prayer that you pray. You guys understand that, right? Like, like, like repentance is, is a thing of the heart. Repentance doesn't begin when we start to say we're sorry. Repentance begins when we realize that God is worthy. It's, 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 it's when you behold him, right? It's, it's kind of like when you say, imagine like you're, say you're driving in a car, I, traffic. I, I don't know why. This is, this is the only example I can give. I'm, I'm a traffic guy, right? Like you're, 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 you're driving in traffic and like someone cuts you off. And then like you just like, you rail at them. Like you just honk the horn as hard and loud as you can. You shake the steering wheel, turn back and tell the kids, ah, why? You know, you're, you're, you go crazy. 
And then you pull up next to this car, and like I'll talk about, you just want to see the person, you just want to look over and see them, and you roll the window out, and it's like your grandmother who, who got a new car. Or it's like your, your poor mother who's like, I, I tried to call you, I couldn't get you, so I went to the store by myself, I'm sorry. When you realize the worth of that person, true repentance happens. That's, that's where true repentance, when, when you roll that window down and you see the person you love and you value, that feeling you get, <laughs> like that crappy feeling, you're like, I just feel like crap right now. I, I cannot believe I did that. I, can't, I, can't, I cannot believe I just, ah, that's, now if it's a stranger, you roll it down, you're like, yeah, don't do that again because you have no value for that person. But if it's someone who you know and love, the worthiness of that person, your value for that person causes your heart to actually repent. That's true repentance. Seeing the worthiness of God. Seeing the word. This, this is why we just continue to, to seek his presence. Just continue seeking his face. I tell people all the time, they're struggling with sin. I know it's wrong. Like I'm walking on hot territory. I can't get out of this sin. What do I do? Keep on seeking his face. Because I can lead you through the prayer of repentance, but if your heart is not truly repentant, then it means nothing. God isn't looking for the fruit of your lips. He, he, he's looking for the product of your heart. He, he wants your passion, right? And, and that comes when you see his face. And so if you're dealing with sin, yeah, stop. But don't just stop. Seek his face. Because it's when you, it's when you roll that window down and you see that it's your poor grandmother who you love so much that your heart just starts to say, oh, can't believe I used that finger, <laughs> right? It, it, it really changes the way that you view things. The cost of repentance is opened eyes. That is, that is what it takes to actually repent. Your eyes get opened. You see that God is worthy and you're like, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips and it changes your heart. John 9 where Jesus actually opens up blind eyes. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world. That's the other side of the coin. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Hear me out. He, he says, if you think that you can see, then your guilt remains. Thinking you can see is you, you, you have the window rolled up and you're just thinking that's a jerk in the other car. That's it. You, you, you think that you can see. This is people who have it all figured out. People who know everything about God. Those people, as soon as you start to tell them anything about God, they start to quote scripture to you, empty scriptures. They start to tell you how, how great and wonderful they are. These are people who are far from repentance. Far, so, so Jesus is saying, if you think that you're actually seeing and you haven't rolled that window down, if you haven't grasped the worthiness of God and all you're doing is, is just blindly going, he says, you are the blind one if you think that you can see just by looking at situations and not by looking at God. Amen. And so in verse seven, back to, back to Exodus, in, in, in verse seven, this is a regular practice of the Israelites. So, so th this exchange happens, and then in the middle of Exodus 33, we, Moses explains a typical practice. And, and the typical practice is that they build a tent, the tent of meetings, Moses goes to the tent, right? I read this and um, it's gross. 
it's gross to me because Moses builds a tent and he goes and Joshua kind of comes with him, right? Just like his aide to watch. And then the people are like way over there. And Moses goes and they want to meet with God and Moses goes. And then they look for the cloud to come. When, when they're all the way over here and they see the cloud come on Moses' tent, they fall down and worship. That is gross. It's gross because the, the, the cloud wants to come to your tent. That's like spiritual pornography. You're, you're, you're all the way over here, the, the cloud drops over, and as soon as the cloud drops there, you're falling down on your face and worshiping. You're not having the, you're, you're piggybacking off of Moses' experience with God. And we see that God said, I actually want to do this with you. I build this tavern. I, I want everybody to come. I want to dwell with, with all of you. And the people were terrified of God. And so they stayed in the camp. Moses went outside the camp and they just started looking for the pillar. It says, verse nine, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Verse 10, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worship each at the entrance. And, and here we see the people saw just enough of God to value his presence. And, and the pillar evoked worship, right? So they, this was a regular practice. This is not the same day. This is something that, that always happens. So they saw the pillar and they would worship. Now this happens also when they were still in gross sin. Like this was always happening, so while, while they have the, the, the golden calf on their heart still, while, while they still wanted to go back to Egypt. And, and so the pillar got worship, but, but not complete obedience and devotion to God. So you, they had just enough of God's presence to fall down and worship, but they didn't have the whole thing to where they would live righteous and follow him. How do we get that? How do we get that? Build a tent that the cloud would come to and you see the fullness of God. When you see the fullness of God, it causes you, I, I, I don't know, I, I just want to get a drill hammer and just drive that home. If you've got to have the presence of God. You've got to have the presence of God to see the worth of God. That's what changes you. That's what changes you. People come to me with, with like, I, I just need to get rid of this thing and and they want me to pray and, and cast out demons. And, and, and I love it. And, and they want good counsel. Like you've just got to, you've got to build a tent and invite the presence of God to behold his, you've got to behold him. That is the only thing that changes you is the presence of God. There is nothing else. Nothing else evokes real change. That, that brings us to number two. God is worthy of my passion. God is worthy of my passion. So, so the Israelites, they, they worshiped because of what they saw going on on the cloud over there. They saw just enough of God for worship, but not complete abandonment. And let me tell you, if, if, you, if you're sensing that urge that we've been talking about as, as we embark on this journey ahead, if you're sensing this thing that like, I really wanna, I really wanna step my Christian game up. Like I really wanna start to like next, next level, please. Like, I, I got enough points on this level. I got the flag, home, safe, next level, please. If you're tired of playing on this area, like falling in and out and back and forth and, and, and the things that, like Paul says, the things you know that you should do, you aren't doing them and all of that. I would like to suggest that you've been looking at the one cloud for too long. And all we need to do is to step back and just start to behold more of him. 
there, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is no condemnation for, for the sin that's happening. There's nothing you can do except behold him. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. It's when you see him. And he says, it's just like how Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. All they did was see him, behold him. They valued his worth and it changed them. That's real transformation. If you don't hear anything else for the next 15 minutes, that's, that's real transformation is seeing God. If, if you're being transformed and you're not seeing God, you're not being transformed. You're still playing church. You're still playing Christianity. That's it. I would rather you be real about who you are, be real about where you are, come with your mess, come with your brokenness, give God an opportunity to, to expose himself to you. Don't get comfortable in this camp while the tent is outside the camp and you only do this thing on Sunday morning when you come and see a cloud or two. Real, real Christianity, real abandonment to the God that loves you comes when you see him, when you're no longer two strangers dwelling in the body, but you become aware of Christ in you and you start to fall in love with him and total abandonment to him. Number two, God is worthy of passion. So Moses starts to respond to, to God now in, in verse 12. Moses says, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. And you've said, I know you by name and I found favor and, and, and that you found favor with me. In verse 13, Moses said, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses is saying that you, you can see me, you, you know me, God, you know all of me, right? Like we, we recognize like you, you, you've got it all. And then Moses responds, if you can see all of me and love me, I want to see all of you and love you. This is Moses' response. Moses, see, you've got to make the connection here. Moses is saying, you see me and know me, thus you love me and find favor with me. So now return the favor. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. So he's saying, you know me because you can see me and now I want to know you. So, so, so I want to see you also. And then um, under number two, the cost for passion is humility. The cost for passion is humility. We see humble Moses here. Moses says that I may know you. Now, this may sound bizarre. When Moses says, teach me your ways so, so that I may know you. You got to remember the history. M Moses is the same guy that saw the burning bush that wasn't consumed. Who took off his shoes and said this ground is holy. This same Moses that saw God move in all the plagues of Israel. Right? This is the Moses who, who stomped down his staff and saw the waters part. This is, this is Moses that, that, that struck the, the, the rock and, 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 and water started flowing out. This is Moses that saw the bitter water turn to fresh water. This is Moses who went up to the mountain and talked to God for hours face to face. I know Christians who've had less experiences than that and they boast in knowing God. Moses says, let me see your face so that I may know you. On the back of all that history, Moses says, I just want to know you. If I was God, I would have said, what do you mean you want to know me? What was all that back there? But Moses tapped into something that was very interesting. Moses says, I stepped back and I, 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 saw, I saw the burning bush, right? 
I stepped back further and I saw, I saw you move in Egypt. And the further you step back, the more you see. I, I, I saw you part the waters. I saw, but I still can't see all of you. I want to see you fully so that I can know you. Because Moses recognized that it is seeing God. And, 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 and Moses' humility is not in, I healed this many people. I prayed for this many people. I led this many people to Christ. I didn't fall into sin today. So thus, I know God. I can't, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I, in, in just, you know, going out and, and, and engaging people. And, um, you know, um, I, I, I like to talk to people and I find them, you know, hey, how, how are you doing? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm trying out this thing that I learned about praying and hearing from God. And, you know, I um, just want to share this thing with you. And, and many times, m- many times people, well, I'm a Christian. I'm, all, I'm already saved. I don't need this. Or, or they start to tell you, how many of you guys have tried to evangelize and the person starts to tell you how much they know God? Like, like that's all they could tell you. It's like, I know him. I know him already. I don't need this. I know him. I had an encounter like that this morning. Like, I, I already know him. I'm, I'm saved. I, I know him. I, I, be, I believe in Jesus already. And those are the people that just stay right here and believe that they're seeing all of God. These are the people that, so Moses, humility is the cost for passion. If you want passion for God, humility says, I know you, but, but I don't really know you. And I know couples who've been married 30, 40 years, still getting to know their spouse. Why? Because they're growing as your relationship is growing. God is expanding as you're seeing more of him. And, and, and so we never get comfortable where we are. We always need more of him. And, and Moses says, I want to know your way. What is the cost of knowing God? What is the, the cost of truly knowing God? It is learning his way. It is going his way. It is to go in the same direction. That is to pay the cost of knowing him. It's, it, it, it's, it's to, Moses says to show me your ways, show me what you're like, show me the direction that you're going in so that I may know you. It's like what we see in, in, in Job verse 42, I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse five. He says, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Right? He's like, I, I've, I step back a little bit and I'm beholding more of you. You've got to see him. And the only way that you're going to see him is, is the humility of your heart that says there is more of God than what I see. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many people have, have left churches because they saw something that was too weird for them. I, I can't tell you how many people have, 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 are, are moving all around because they refuse to step back. They, they refuse to take one step back. Like I remember stories of people who had problems with like gold dust. You know, like in worship, gold dust would fall from heaven. You guys have heard these, right? These stories. I've been in meetings where I've seen gold dust. You've had gold dust, Danny, right? Just falling, you're worshiping and gold, just gold fills your hand. I remember um, stories of the Toronto blessing years ago when, when, when men and women were slain in the spirit and started roaring like lions and masses of people fled the church. Why? Because it was an experience that they hadn't seen before. And they listen, I know God. I, I know him. And they refuse to grow in passion with him because they refuse to step back and realize there is more to God than what you've seen. If, if, God, if, if the God that you have is it, then you have created a nice little box for him 
and, and he never grows and he never gets out and that's where he stays. And so I see some things that honestly I don't get. Just, but I told you last week, I, I read stuff in scripture that I don't agree with. But humility comes. Listen, if you want to do this thing, this journey ahead, there has to be a humility like Moses. Moses saw greater things than every single person in this room. Would you, would you agree with that? And, and his response is, I, I need to know you. And so I don't bank on my own experiences. I bank on the fact that God is ever expanding and there's always more of him to know. I'm not saying to don't exercise discernment, obviously, right? We exercise dis- discernment and, and, and we match it up to the scripture. But I, I really believe that there is more to God than what there is in the Bible. Because we see God doing a lot more than what I've read in scripture. And Jesus says, greater works than these you'll do. And so if all that you'll ever do is what you see in the Bible, then, then Jesus is a liar. He says, you're, you're going to do things greater than what's written in this book. So you've got to keep stepping back to see the more of me that's ever expanding. And like Pastor Ralph always taught me, and then take the risk. And then you got to take the risk. Back to Exodus, verse 14. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. All right, so this is Moses saying, I, first, we, we have the, I want to be with you. And now Moses is saying, I, I, I want you to be with me. All right, Moses saying, I, I'm gonna go and, I, and, and, and I'm gonna go, I just wanna know your ways so I can follow you. And Moses saying, now I want you to come with me. All right, so in, in, in verse 14, I'm gonna make a, a simple divide here. Verse 14 the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And it's almost as if Moses didn't hear what God said. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, then, we, then don't send us from here. Then God should have said, I just told you that I'm gonna go with you, right? But, but what's actually happening here? Now, when we read these verses, I, I challenge you to just read them slow and understand that there's probably some, some gaps in there, right? So from, from verse, let's say thir- 13, Moses would say, if you're pleased with me, then teach me your ways so that I may know you, right? And he's talking to God in this tent. And, and, and so God may not respond right away. Moses is probably there, like six hours, nothing. Like I said, that if, 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 if you're pleased with me, then teach me your ways so that I may know you, nothing. And then finally, God replies and says, my presence will go with you and give you rest. Just as, just as gentle voice. All right, my presence is going to go with you and give you rest. And then Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want to go. What is happening there? God is saying, Moses, I'm pleased with you. My presence is going to go with you. Moses said, no, no, no. Your presence needs to go with us. This is the strength and the backbone of a real leader. This is the strength and the backbone of, of like, this is why God chose Moses. Because God says, my presence is going with you and I'm going to bless you and give you rest. Moses says, I will not go from here if your presence doesn't go with us and you come with us and give us rest. Because if, if, if it's just me that you're blessing, then my, my, my vision is, and, and, and my, my, my plans and my purpose is all out of sync. I'm here to lead these people. I need your presence to come with us. I need it for everybody, not just me. 
we, we, we see that there, there is a place of leadership that is expressed in Moses. If, if, if you ever feel called to true leadership, you've got to read the story of Moses because Moses, I believe, is a great, great leader. So we see that, we see that Moses has a level of humility and, and passion for knowing God. I'm going to end here in um, verse 16. Moses says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us, right? So we see him in broadening this thing more than just him. He says, how will people know that you're pleased with us, your people, all of us, unless you go with us? And, and, and he distinguishes, um, he wants to be distinguished from the other people, not just him. And, 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 and so what, what do we have apart from you? This is this what Moses is, is saying. What, what will we be apart from you? Like we're singing, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, like we're nothing with, without you. What's going what, to make us different from everyone else on the earth if you don't go with us? This is the same thing that we see happen um, in, in, in the gospel of, of John, where, where as, as Carol spoke this, this morning, where Jesus says, you know, eat, eat, eat my body and drink my blood. And the disciples say, this is hard to hear. And the Bible says many disciples left him because they didn't understand it. And then Jesus turns to the 12 and, and, and he says, are you all going to leave me too? You, you guys remember their response? He says, Lord, where will we go? Like, Lord, where will we go? I, I think sometimes personally, my answer, if I'm really honest sometimes is, Lord, I'm offended. I'm out. Or if he says, like, are you going to leave me too? I don't know if my response is always, Lord, where would I go? Because I, I probably have a few other places I can go to. Like, if I'm, if I'm really honest sometimes. So if, if God says, are, are, all right, you 12, are you all going to leave also? Is, is, is my heart really set on, if you're not with me, God, I'm not distinguished, I'm worthless, and I'm nothing, because he's the scale that gives me worth. And if I'm not on your scale, then what does that make me? I am completely worthless. And so we, we, we sit on his scale and we move from any other scale that gives us worth and value and we sit on the scale of him. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked me because I'm pleased with you and know you by name. And then Moses says, now show me your glory, right? And this is just banging the hammer on the head of that nail. I need to see you. I need to see you for passion, for, for, for humility, for repentance. I, I need to see you. And, and, and Moses is just saying, please return the favor. I want to know you as I've been known. This is the natural response to love. The natural response to love. When someone says, I love you, what's the natural response? Just, I love you too. This is the natural response to this. Very, very natural the glory of God is the visible display of the invisible God. That's what the glory of God is. And number three, God is worthy of my vulnerability. Why is he worthy of your, vul your vulnerability? Because he said in verse 20, he says, you cannot see my face because no one sees my face and live. And, and, and so the face of God is the essence of God. It is the core of God, right? <laughs> Listen to this. We're almost finished here. The face of God is the core of God. It is what makes God who he is. 
That is the core of him. So, pe- so pe- people ask, if everything came from somewhere, where did God come from? That's his face. That's what makes him him. So he says, you can see all of me, but if you see the core of what makes me me, then you, you can't live. You will die if you see my face. And what, what here's the interesting thing. If, 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 God, if God says, if you see my face, you'll, you'll die, that also means that when you die, you get to see his face. Yes? Like when you die, you get to see it because now you can behold it. This is, this is, this is, I think this is why Paul says, like, I die daily. Just, I just want to see the face of God. This is why when you die, you, you got to get a new body because if you try to see his face with the old body, it'll die. Right? Because you cannot contain the goodness of God. And, and so God says, I, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Right? He's literally saying, my life is going to flash before your eyes. That's what happens when you die for God. Come on. When, listen, when you're about to die, you see your life. I've seen my life flash before my eyes like twice. There's been at least two times where I'm like, oh my God, this is it, I'm gonna die. And, and I know that feeling of like my life flashing before my eyes. But when, when you get ready to die for God, his life flashed before your eyes, right? So he said, my, my goodness is gonna pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. And his name is the attributes of his character. He's gonna pass by and you're, you're gonna behold him. And then when you behold him, you're gonna see his character. You're gonna see his goodness. You're gonna see his mercy. You're gonna see his kindness. And when you see that, when you see all of that, it changes. He says, I'm gonna declare my name, the Lord in your presence. And he says, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. I'm God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. When you see my goodness, you're going to get it. It's all going to make sense to you. And he said, but you can't see my face. And so Moses puts himself in a vulnerable position because he just might die. (laughs) You've got to have vulnerability. I love it. Every time Pat... Pastor Ralph said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm like, oh, stop saying that, Ralph. You know, it's just like you've, you've, you've got a tippy toe on the lines of life and death because it, it requires a vulnerability. And the cost of vulnerability is sacrifice. Under number three there, the cost of vulnerability is sacrifice. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, deny themselves, tippy-toeing on the lines of life and death to deny yourself and take up your cross. Now you got one foot in death and one foot in life and you're taking up your cross and you follow him. This, this, it calls for sacrifice. The, the, the vulnerability to tiptoe on life and death for following God calls for sacrifice. We've got to love him to death. I, I love him to death. Because he, he, because he loved us even unto death. Many scholars believe that this is the place where Moses wrote the entire Bible that he wrote, the, 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 the first few books. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. But they, they, they believe that this is the time frame where Moses actually saw God and he saw his goodness and he saw, the, he saw, who God, he saw the history of God. And so Moses was able to write in the beginning, God created the heaven and, and Moses wasn't there, but, but Moses is the one who wrote these scriptures and he knew what happened before Adam was made. Before Eve was created, Moses is the one who jot down the order in which God created things. 
And it's because he beheld who God was. And, 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 he, and he says, my goodness is going to pass before you. You can't see my core, but you can see my back. You can see my history. You can see what I've done. And, and we, we believe that it's in this place that Moses writes the scriptures. The last verse here, Hebrews 11, verse 24. Now by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In verse 26, he says, listen to this. If, if you have your Bible open with you, I want you to circle, highlight, just go through. This is verse 26, Hebrews 11, verse 26. This is, this is Moses. This is, this is what we're looking at today. This is the example. He says that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Again, Moses saw the back of God. He saw all of God. Moses can write before Adam was created and he can write forward before Christ was born. And, 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 and so the, the Bible says that for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, that he regarded disgrace as of greater value, right? He regarded disgrace. And in your Bible, cir- cir- just, just, just circle those two words as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. He saw God and it was of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And so if Moses were to answer this question, God, are you worth it? Are you worth it? Mo- Moses' answer would be absolutely. I regard you. I, I don't even count myself as being the son of Pharaoh's daughter anymore. I, I have abandoned that identity completely. I realize that I'm nothing without him. And, 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 I, and I, I don't care about what I've seen thus far. I know there is more and I want the more. And so he, he regarded everything that he had as nothing because Christ was of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And it says, because he was looking ahead to, to his reward. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He saw God. If you, if you, if you haven't gotten it yet, you've got to see him. You've got to see him. This is, this is what it takes to see God. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaf. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.